0: everybody. Well, look, today is another day in our current teaching series entitled Chain Breakers. Uh, how many of you guys have uh, been a part of one of the Sundays for the Chain Breaker series? Let me see your hand. <clears throat> okay. All right. Now, early on in the series, I had someone come to us and say, look, you should have warned the congregation that you were doing this incredible series on chainbreakers because it's a, like as soon as you start dealing with this kind of stuff, it, it's like the chains get sucked tighter around you. Um, and it's really kind of true in a way. Like the enemy, he loves wrapping us up in these chains that keep us from being life-giving. He, he loves to control our lives. He, he loves to suck the very joy of Christianity out of us, right? He, he loves to bring us to a place where we feel defeated. He loves to do that. But why are we tackling the Chain Breaker series? To focus on what he does? No. No, because then if we did that, we should retitle it to like the Chain Wrapper, Right? So it's not the chain-wrapper series, it's the chain-breaker series. Who breaks the chains? Right, remember I told you guys this. Like, as a good pastor, I just want to make sure I instruct you one more time. When the pastor asks a question from the stage, normally the right answer is? Right, okay, so... It's just like a go to answer. It's a go to answer. And if you say it and it's, it's wrong, it can never really be like, you know, refuted. Like it can't ever be attacked. Like no one could ever like come down on you because you gave the answer Jesus. So you're always safe with the answer Jesus. That particular question, 100% accurate. Who's the chain breaker? The chain breaker is Jesus. The chain breaker is Jesus. And let me just say this to you to maybe kind of like blow something out of your mind for a second. And that's this, Jesus isn't the chain breaker just because he came and he died on a cross and he rose again from the grave, by the way. Jesus was the chain breaker before any of that as well. Because Jesus is God. Like, you do understand, right, that at the beginning of all things, when heaven and earth did not exist, Jesus existed. Jesus wasn't some afterthought of the, of the Godhead, you know, God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. No, God has always existed. Jesus has always existed. Jesus has always been the chain breaker. And you're going to see that today, even in Scripture. But the death of Jesus on the cross and the resurrection of, of, of Christ paid for our sins. He's always been the chain breaker and he always will maintain the title chain breaker. We can run to him today knowing that he's always had the authority and the display of the cross and the resurrection was just another evidence that he has the authority. And today he sits at the right hand of the Father waiting to return for his church with the complete authority to break chains today. right Now that's the good news. But today we're going to tackle a chain that all of us deal with. Some of us are dealing with it right now. It's the chains of anger. Don't raise your hand if you're dealing with that right now. But some of you are. Some of you deal with it more often than others. Some of you, let's just be honest, are angry people. Don't nudge the person next to you. Some of us are more angry than others. But all of us deal with anger in one way or the other. And you know what gets you angry might not be what gets the person sitting next to you angry. Right? Like for some people, man, this human trafficking issue that is just running rampant. It's like going from underground to above ground on our planet. And the way that certain people are being treated and manipulated and deceived, I mean that just gets underneath some people's skin like royally and it causes them to, you know, take action. It really gets at them. It makes them angry, this human trafficking issue. Some people it's just controlling people. Like you got a controlling boss, and every time you go to work, it's like ah right? Or a controlling spouse or a controlling neighbor or a controlling child in your house. So that can get you really angry. Some of you you just get you get angry because of bad drivers. It's not worth it, people. It's not worth it, right? But bad drivers can make certain people just like irate. Telemarketers can make certain people irate. Got to forgive them right now, right? I got to just let them go. Um, Feeling disrespected at times can make some people just get irate, right? Some of you just get angry at the referee when you're at your child's sporting event. It's wrong, people. Let it go. You get angry at the coach. Let it go. Right. Let it go. And if there's any coaches in the room, you would say, amen. Right. I heard you loud and clear. All right. Good. Right. Some of you, you get angry. I mean, this causes anger to come up within you when you're trying to watch your Netflix show and your video keeps buffering. That'll get you angry. Or when you're trying to do work you know, on your, on your phone or on your tablet or uh, on your computer at the coffee shop and the Wi-Fi keeps dropping. That will get you angry. <laughs> Hope I didn't expose anything there. <laughs> but anger can be controlling. That's the danger of it, right? In fact, unchecked anger, it will wrap around you like a constricting chain wanting to suck the very life out of you. And anger... Anger can cause you to expose the very worst that lives inside of you. Trust me, it's happened many times. It's not something I'm proud of. It's not something I even really want to admit. It doesn't bring me great joy to admit to you that anger in my past has exposed the very worst of me. But I'm only saying that because I can identify with you. I know. I understand. I am Jeff Baker, red-blooded human American, I know what it's like to find anger welling up within you and then to strike out. So I've kind of come up with my own little scale for anger. Now, I'm no psychologist, so don't write this down. Don't try to go write a paper about it. Don't try to post it out there on the Internet as if it's some kind of scientific scale. But I have come up with a pretty pretty fun but yet accurate you know, anger scale. All right, Are you ready for this? The anger, it starts. So there's this moment happens, whatever makes you angry. And some people, you go to this stage, which I'm just referring to as the buried nuclear waste stage. This is where something's happened to you. You know, somebody said something, did something. The bad driver cut you off. The Wi Fi went, you know, right? but you take all your anger and you bury it down deep someplace. You have a deep chasm inside of your heart that is really black and ugly and toxic and radioactive. But somehow, some way, you're able to cap it and just keep it there. Now, what you need to know is you need to hang on with me because if that's how you handle anger, like I'm not going to let it, I'm not going to let anybody see it, but I'm going to bury it deep and hang on to it, then you're going to find yourself exploding at the last stage of my, of my anger scale and you'll understand why, because you've seen people do this, all right? So if that's not you, you don't just bury it and keep it there, then maybe you're the next level of burying it, but yet it kind of seeps out, you know, moment after moment, because you can't, you can't keep it in, and that would be what I'm going to refer to as the passive-aggressive stage, right? Now, this is no, no, no new word for you, but, you, you, you know, you're the kind of person that you just can't keep the anger inside, and so there's emails that get sent, there's text messages that get sent, there's words that get said, there are things that happen behind the scenes because it's boiling inside of you, but you don't have that toxic container to keep it in, and it just kind of like, Ugh, it, bl- it blurts out, it, it impacts people, it hurts and wounds people. So those are the two kind of like try-to-bury-it stages. But then you've got that really like right in the middle, stuck in the middle, the water off of a duck's backstage, right? It, it's that like it things hit you like they hit all of us, but yet you found this place where through, through Christ and through the Holy Spirit that you just kind of like, you let it go. It just kind of rolls off of you. anger starts its process in you but you never let you go with the biblical concept you never let the sun go down on your anger right you deal with it that day you find a way to forgive you you let it go like water off of a duck's back now if that's not where you live that's where i'm trying to help you get to today but in a biblical sense not just in a i'm strong enough to do it Because otherwise, then we're the reaction half of the scale. Where, you know, you you get angry, something happens, and you get, like, steamed, or you get frustrated. That might be you. Where you you definitely can't bury it. It just is going to be war right on the front, and boom, out it comes, right? And you're just steamed, frustrated, and you you hurt people with your words, or you say things that you regret, right? Anybody ever done that before? Of course. Many of us have lived in this stage. But when that stage kind of develops into a unmature, mature maturity, then you you escalate it to a toddler tantrum where you, you revert back from your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s back to three years old. And you've seen people do this before, right? You may have even done it recently as well. But it's crazy how this angry moment just kind of overwhelms you and you're back to your kicking and screaming and, you know, biting and scratching and, you know, all that comes with a toddler tantrum. And that anger just controls you to a point where you, you're totally embarrassed with how you act. But when that's not enough to express your anger, then you take it to the ultimate stage on my anger scale, which is the Incredible Hulk stage, right? The Incredible Hulk stage, like every, all, all the, everything's let go. You're just in a full-on rage You're getting ready to hurt somebody bad. That's what happens with the nuclear waste buried stage when over time it gets so toxic that you can't keep it anymore and you jump straight to stage six, incredible Hulk moment. Dangerous, really dangerous. So how can the Bible help us remain free from the chains of sin today? And how can the Bible help us break the chains of anger? How can it do it? First, we're going to look at Proverbs 19, 11. It says this, that sensible people, they do something. They control their temper, and they earn respect by overlooking wrongs. Wrapped up in this one little scripture, that sensible people, or people with good sense, or maybe it even means that people with common sense, which all of us have in this room today, and all of us have in North Platte, and all of us have online, that sensible people are people with common sense. They control their temper. And what do they do? They earn respect by doing what? Not just controlling their temper, though. By overlooking wrongs. There's so much packed into this one verse that I just kind of want to look at it a little bit and kind of tear it apart a little bit and kind of look at what, how can we really use God's word to like start to really erode the chains of anger that want to control us so badly. And the first place I want to start is with the anaconda effect. The anaconda effect, like, you, you, like for some of you, I mentioned snakes, and instantaneously there's this like bad gut feeling on the inside. Well, there's no snakes in the sanctuary, okay? There's no sa- there's no snakes in any of our venues, so don't worry about it. But uh, anaconda, what does it do? Right? It's one of those constricting snakes, right? So it wraps itself around you, time after time, all right, trying to squeeze the very life out of you, right? Now, when the anaconda of anger is affecting your life and it's squeezing the very life out of you, it's really hard to focus on anything else. In fact, when that anaconda effect is happening to your heart and the chains are getting wrapped around you and the is squeezing tighter and tighter and tighter on them, it actually affects you physically. It affects your soul and it affects your spirit. It affects you physically, like... There's actual studies that have been done about anger that causes the person to have tunnel vision. So look at this with me. When that anaconda effect starts squeezing on your heart and it starts squeezing on your mind and and the chains of anger really start to cinch down on top of you, you start to exaggerate the truth with delusion. It's one of the effects of it. In fact, it takes the anger in the moment that you have and it, it... escalates it because you can no longer see truth you only see delusion but it also affects you because you're you're not able to see the solutions to resolve the problem either that tunnel vision kicks in and you don't see like what could i do to resolve this what could i do to de-escalate it all you see is the problem all you see is the anger and i guarantee you you'll feed whatever you're looking at and you'll make the conflict or the situation even worse than what it is but here's the last thing that that tunnel vision does to you and it, how it affects others. You end up hurting people that are in your peripheral because you can't see the effect of your life and how it's impacting them. And that's what anger does. When the anaconda effect starts you know, squeezing the very life out of you, 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 that tunnel effect kicks in and that tunnel effect starts causing anger to stir up additional conflicts and it keeps you in a constant state of controversy. It wants to do that. It just wants to like stir it up even more and more. And that's exactly what Proverbs 15, 18 says about the issue. It says that a hot-tempered man does what? Stirs up strife. But he who is slow to anger quiets contention. The hot-tempered man it keeps stirring it up. When the anaconda of anger just keeps cinching down on you, it's amazing how you just keep perpetuating the problem, making it bigger and bigger, worse and worse, even impacting others. So if you want to break the chains of anger, then what have we learned so far in these two verses? Well, Proverbs nineteen eleven it told us to do two things. Overlook wrongs and use common sense. For some of us, guys, look, things are going to come every single day, and you got a choice to make. You can keep being angry at every little thing that gets underneath your skin or you can start to overlook them and realize, you know what, this is not going to change my day. I'm not going to let that person control the next hour of my life. I'm not going to let that word stick with me that was said in the morning and impact my entire day. I'm not going to let this moment control me. I'm going to overlook it. And I'm going to use common sense, like instead of like responding back and stirring things up, I'm going to, I'm going to use some common sense here and realize this isn't the end of the world right now. This isn't the mountain that I need to climb and die on. See, when we don't overlook the, the moments that cause anger, then you make every situation a mountain that you want to die on. I'm going to tell you right now, you don't have the energy to do that. You weren't built for that. That's not what God designed you for. There are some mountains in life that we have to climb that we would say it's worth dying on. But it's never going to be from a moment, a moment where someone else did something that caused great anger in you. The other thing we can learn is from what Proverbs 15, 18, which we just read it. It told us to do two things. Be slow to anger. And then it said, look, if you do that, you will be a part of quieting contentions. If you're slow to anger, which is a choice that we can make, by the way. So here's what's interesting about that scripture. Be slow to anger. doesn't mean that anger isn't going to be an emotion that you feel. That's not what we're trying to say today. We're not trying to say never feel anger again, okay, because that would be unrealistic. But be slow to it. When you feel it escalating, what can you do to de-escalate it so it doesn't blow out of control so it's not just affecting you and spilling out onto others. Because when you're slow to anger, how, that's when you can quiet contention. That's when you can de-escalate things. But if not, you're going to end up back at tunnel vision and it's all going to be bad. See, only you can stop the anaconda of anger from squeezing the very life out of you. Have you ever seen somebody like handle one of those constricting snakes Like a decent sized one, like maybe you were at an event, um, you know, old school carnival, watching it on TV. Here's what: the next time you see that, I want you to pay attention because that snake—it's like inside of the snake. Intuitively, it wants to wrap around the neck of that dude and eat him. Like I'm convinced of that, right? Like that's that's wired into the DNA of the snake. Hmm, looks like a good meal. Right? I know that the human is like four times bigger than me, but I will still try to eat him. Right, That's at least what I think about every snake. So what he does is as the snake tries to coil itself around, he, he keeps uncoiling the snake before he can ever get a good grip. He just keeps uncoiling it over and over and over again. That's, that's just what he does. Is he's holding and maneuvering the snake. Keeps him from coiling himself around him in any capacity. Well, guys... That's the very same thing that we need to do with anger. We uncoil it by overlooking wrongs and forgiving quickly and by choosing to be slow to anger. Okay, But we also need to control the anaconda of anger by letting go of offenses, the offense caused by someone else as that offense gets into our heart and it gets into our mind. We have to quickly start letting go of it. So offense, though here's the point offense then is a gateway to the chains of anger the reason why you got to let go of it is because it becomes a gateway now some of you you've heard like the argument with you know a drug called marijuana that is been said that it's a gateway drug to other drugs and what i'm saying to you today is in that same kind of mindset and understanding offense becomes a gateway to the chains of anger that anaconda wrapping around your heart and sucking the very life out of you and an offense can come from anywhere right but primarily where do offenses come from don't you find that primarily offenses come from people that you love and you care about and that you're closest to it's because you love them and you care about them It's because you respect them that there is this moment that happens where something takes place that catches you off guard. It comes out of left field. It strikes you wrong that all of a sudden now you create, you get this offense towards a person primarily. It can also be towards an entity, but primarily the offenses that end up controlling us the most are the ones that we hold against others. And I'm just going to say to you today that depositing an offense inside of your heart is one of the enemy's number one tools to control you and to steal the joy out of your life. And it becomes the gateway to later the chains of anger controlling your life, an offense. See, if you add one letter to the word anger, you find out the true power of the offense. Here's the true power of the offense. It becomes danger. You add one letter to the word anger, and you got danger. An offense, when we harbor an offense in our heart, when we let an offense kind of work its, its, its process in us, it becomes very dangerous for you physically, it becomes dangerous for your soul, your mind, will, and emotions, and it becomes super dangerous for your spirit. It's amazing how an offense can put, an, can put like a foot on an accelerator and cause you to run rapidly away from God just by harboring an offense. It becomes dangerous, guys. You become, in a way, kind of like an ember in a wildfire. Think of a wildfire today that is eating away acre after acre after acre of a forest fire. And then picture with me, the winds pick up and they start blowing at 40 or 50 knots, right? And then the hot ember, it gets picked up out of the forest fire and it gets blown a mile away and it gets deposited Glowing hot red into a dry field a mile away from the actual wildfire. What happens a mile away? The potential is that it just lights up, and all of a sudden, now where one wildfire was burning, now you've got two wildfires that are burning. And when an offense causes you to act out of anger, here's one of the things that you start doing you start a chain reaction of offenses. It's like you got offended. You let that offense turn into anger. That anger turned into action. Now you offended someone else that gets angry, that turns into action, that creates an offense. And you took one wildfire, and you started sharing it all over the place, all because you couldn't let go of the offense. And you let the anaconda suck the very life and squeeze the very life right out of you. But on the other hand, when you put out the fire of offense within your heart, Here's what you do. Here's what you do. You destroy the chains of anger. And you keep the chains of anger from controlling others. Every single one of us in this room today has a choice. You have a choice. Harbor an offense and let the toxicness of it ooze out and impact others. Or have an offense in your heart. And by the end of the day, before the sun goes down, you let it go. Don't let it affect you. Don't let it affect your marriage. Don't let it spill out on your children. Don't let it spill out on those that you lead. Don't let it come back the next day into your office place. Don't let it wake up the next morning in your marriage bed. You let go of it. You lay it down and you destroy the chains of anger and you keep the chains of anger from controlling others. But I want to take it even a step further back than the offense. If you start really processing how the chains of anger control us, and you start reverse engineering that back, it actually starts before the offense. If you want to be a person that lives life free from taking on the offenses where others do things and say things that wound and and hurt and cause pain, here's where it starts. It starts by guarding your heart from a critical spirit, from being a person that criticizes Criticism and a critical spirit are the breeding ground for an offense. And the offense leads to the chains of anger. Where does it start? It starts by guarding your heart from being critical. It seems as if today, in which we live right now, it's popular to criticize someone in power. It's almost as if you don't, if you don't have a critical opinion of someone in power or some entity in power, then you're not in the norm. And I want to say to you today this. Fight against that with everything inside of you. That's not godly. That's not healthy. It's not healthy to sit around the water cooler at work and just to criticize your boss, criticize policy, criticize someone that's underneath you. It's not healthy to have a critical eye where all you see is the wrong in people. All you see is the worst in others. If that's where your heart is, your heart is the breeding ground for an offense, And offenses will take you down and let the anaconda of anger wrap itself around you and control your life. Here's what we need to do. Guard ourselves by building a wall against being critical and having that critical spirit. You build the wall there. Offenses, they can't get in. And if an offense can't get in, nor can the chains of anger wrap around your heart and control you. Now, I just want you to know something right now. That's actually really good preaching. I'm not afraid to say that. Because that's the truth. You want to combat this at its origin? You combat it there. You protect your heart there. Here's what Romans 12 says about it. It says, if possible. It's a very unique scripture. A very unique one. Right? If possible, so far as it depends on who, you, me, right? Live peaceably with all. I know that's not possible all the time. But it's not talking about like what others are going to do. It's talking about what you're going to do. You, personally, you can live at peace with everyone here and here. They may not want to live at peace with you, but you can do it in here Oh, I got it. Some things might escalate. They might even go to a court of law, and you might have to take action. I understand. That's the world in which we live in, and you might be caught in that very moment right now, and I'm not telling you just to lay down and roll over and just let the, let the world run right over you. What I'm telling you to do is protect this. Protect the heart. Protect this. These two things in unity with God's word, living at peace with everyone. You can do that, even if you have to take action, you can still live at peace here. Don't let the circumstances of this world rip you down and take you, take you out. Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. Because it depends. That peace depends on you. So you can do that here. But let me just, let me just kind of wrap up today by looking at like a completely different perspective of anger. Right, We're just going like to hard shift, flip the table over. Because there's something very interesting about anger. And that is that anger can be a fuel for Christ-centered action. <laughs> Listen carefully. All right? Anger can be a fuel for Christ-centered action, though. In John chapter 11, Jesus finds out that his, one of his great friends, Lazarus, dies. As soon as he hears it, he packs up his goods, he packs up his disciples, and he goes, guys, we're heading down to where Lazarus is. And as he gets on the edge of town, the two sisters of Lazarus come out to meet him at different stages Martha and Mary and in that order they come and when they come to Jesus Jesus finds out that Lazarus now has been dead for four days in the grave flesh is rotting for four days there's already going to be a smell that's already started and he's wrapped in all these linens and he's just laying in this cave with a stone rolled over the front of it But when he finds Mary and Martha, he finds also another group of people and they're just wailing and they're weeping. And they basically say to Jesus, Jesus, if you could have showed up a little while ago, man, I know that you could have healed Lazarus. But they had no faith to believe that Jesus could raise him from the dead. And here's what happens in the heart of Jesus. In John chapter 11, verse 33, it says that when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. An anger welled up within him. And this anger that wells up within him isn't directed at them. It's not directed at Mary and Martha. It's not directed at the people. In fact, it's direct at it's directed at Satan, the deceiver who's caused these people to lose hope. And you could almost see Jesus. He steps to the forefront and he goes, That's it. Take me to the tomb. Let's go. Come on. You almost kind of like, you see him kind of like he starts walking, right? He gets a little little blocky gets a little stiff gets maybe a little stiff in the jaw he goes come on let's go let's go to the tomb right now i got something to show you guys and as he makes his way to the tomb here's what happens in verse 38 jesus was still what angry as he arrived at the tomb a cave with a stone rolled across his entrance entrance isn't that interesting Jesus is angry at Satan. He's angry at the enemy who's deceived him and tricked them and blinded their eyes from the truth of who he really is. They believe, actually, that he's the son of God. They say it right there in Scripture. They just don't believe that he has the power and authority to raise the brother from the dead. And Jesus is like, I am the resurrection and the life. Follow me. And even as he makes his way to the tomb, he's still fuming. Like On the inside, he's like, Satan, today is the day I'm going to bust you in the chops, man. Like, today I'm going to teach you a lesson. Today I'm going to open up all the eyes of all the people. And today, once and for all, they're going to see the real authority. They're going to see the real power. They're going to see it. Man, well, you just watch out. Like, watch out. Like, back up, people. Right? Jesus steps forward towards the tomb. And he calls out to Lazarus. And Lazarus comes walking out. Properly directed anger can stir us to a Christ-centered action. But there's rules to it. Rule number one. You never direct anger at people. Rule number two, you never direct anger at an entity, a business, right, a policy. Always you direct anger at the enemy of God, our enemy, Satan. That's how you use anger correctly. Even Ephesians 4.26 tells us these words, don't sin by letting anger control you, for anger gives a foothold to the devil, Here's what it really means. It really means this. In your anger, don't sin. So there's a right way to use anger. Anger towards Satan and his lies should fuel you and me to make a difference for God. It should fuel us to love people more that are trapped in the bondage of sin. It should fuel us, you know, to give more of our life away so that the kingdom of God can advance more rapidly. It fuels some people that are out on the mission field fighting the enemy toe-to-toe, face-to-face, nose-to-nose. It fuels them to love people more and to accomplish more. It actually can become the fuel to allow you and me to make an impact for the kingdom of God. If it's directed properly, you are ticked off like Jesus is ticked off at the enemy's deception and his control over people's lives. And our anger directed at Satan lets us love people in a greater way. There is a right way to use it. But I know one thing, though. When you come back to the anger directed towards one another, God's heart for our church is to be free from the controlling anger of sin. In fact, he says it this way in First Timothy. He says, in every place of worship, in New Life Church, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted to God, free from anger and free from controversy. God wants us to lift up our hands and worship to him in just a minute as an act of pure worship. Your hands lifted to God are basically saying this profound statement. God, you are in control today. See, if we harbor anger towards someone or something this morning, then you're allowing that anger to control you. Today is the day to let it go, give it to God. Then you can lift your hands to God and proclaim his authority and your surrender to him. Church, I want you to know today, before I pray, that there's an amazing freedom that comes when you give God your anger and you lift your hands to worship him in his presence today. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Lord, as we move into this time of worship and response to you, it's clear, it's evident in your word that we are not to let anger towards others and things on this earth control us, but there is an anger that even is in your heart towards an enemy who deceives and kills and steals from people. And Lord, that we are to use that anger to love others in a greater way. But today, Lord, you want us to lay down the anger, the offense, the criticism that we've had towards one another, towards others that are on this earth, to lay down that critical heart and to lift up holy hands to you, saying, God, I want you to be in control of my thoughts. To lay down the anger that we're harboring towards someone right now, to lay it down and say, God, you're in control. And by me lifting my hands to you, I'm surrendering that control to you. I'm surrendering my heart to you. I'm surrendering that situation to you. Today, Lord, all throughout New Life, in all of our venues, as we get a chance to worship you right now, I pray that people would find freedom in lifting their hands to you. And as they do so, they're letting go of criticism and anger. As we lift our hands to you, we're saying that you and you alone are in control. You're in control. And we're gonna trust you for the outcome, whatever it is we face. In Jesus' name, amen.